You're listening to the New City Church Podcast. These episodes are recorded live on Gadigal land. Sometimes the audio quality might not be perfect because what you're listening to is a conversation. We don't edit out the chatter. We think that's what makes it authentic. Wherever you're tuning in from, we hope you find this episode encouraging. Hello, I'm Steph, for those who haven't met me. Um, I'm one of the co-pastors here, and it is an absolute joy to do this. Um, This church has been my safe space along a lot of my journey, and I love you all. I love this community. Um, And I've entitled very appropriately this sermon, Living With Scars, because uh, I'll have some new scars soon on my body. Um, But scars aren't just physical and scars come in many shapes and forms. And so I just wanted to give a little heads up that um, we're going to be talking about maybe some hard things tonight. Uh, I want to give you a bit of a content warning that if there is some pain or scars that you're bearing or that are in your life you're sitting with, um, that, that might come up for you. Move around the space as always as you need to, uh, leave the space if you need to, uh, tap someone on the shoulder next to you if you need that. Um, But yeah, I just hope that in the room tonight we can have a lot of love and care and safety too. That's my prayer as we kind of go. Yeah, Uh, so as mentioned, many of you know, I'm getting a surgery on Friday, which is now down to single digits and can be put on one hand I'm five days away Uh, (laughs) I'm really excited about this um, but it hasn't always been an exciting thing like in my life it's been a a long journey of kind of acceptance and walking into this surgery Um, it kind of started when I went to a queer Christian conference I've told this story a few times to people and you know I was asked what are your pronouns and I wrote she her and then felt incredibly uncomfortable and boxed in and locked in and I was like oh what is that Uh, um, it was a journey that continued when a friend of mine uh, started using they them pronouns for me and I just felt very seen and known and loved by him and it was a beautiful gift uh, that he gave me and uh, just kind of saying actually I'm going to use this because I think that's what you might want so but let me know if it's not Um, and then I think I reflected back on my life after a few of those moments and I don't know, you know how you have the, that dominoes effect where all of a sudden like all these things in your life line up that you're like, now I have language, language for this and I see the clear path that this has like always been there. The dominoes fell down and I was like, oh, okay. Um, I remember a, a little story of being at, um, at school, at high school and we were doing a play and there were a lot of male characters. And uh, so some of us needed to be the male characters. And I just had the time of my life, like cross-dressing. Um, and even to the point I got so into it that I saw my mum just before I went on stage and she didn't recognise me. Uh, <laughs> so, so, yeah, I took the part really seriously, uh, really owned it. Um, and (laughs) I don't know, I don't think there are photos. There were many other times after that though. So there are other photos I can show you. Um, 
I then remember hearing a lot of people's stories about their trans experience and their transformations and the surgeries that they'd done, the hormones that they'd been on, uh, people on Instagram who had had top surgery um, and just kind of looked on with a, this desire for that kind of freedom. Um, but yeah, never thought that that could be something that I could do for some reason. Uh, and then I had this really beautiful moment with Kaz, who is also one of our co-pastors, where uh, we were listening to one of those podcasts and I was like, okay, wait on, wait on, wait on, pause here. Is everyone else resonating with this? And they were like, no. I was like, ah, okay, all right. This is something about me and that's unique to me. Uh, yeah, I think that I'm trans. <laughs> Um, and Kaz had this really beautiful, uh, had really beautiful words for me in that moment where she was like, Steph, you get to choose. And I was like, whew, I get to choose. Um, and in that moment, I just felt completely free and liberated from all these other narratives that said that can't be you or you can't do that. And it was all of a sudden actually like that can be you and you can do that and you do get to do that. Um, and I'm looking forward to being loved and loving even more fully on the other side of Friday uh, as I've kind of just journeyed in that way since, um, God willing, please no COVID. Um, but I think there's a lot of harmful narratives from people who speak on behalf of an expansive, loving, divine being uh, and people who dictate what kinds of bodies are pure and loved and belong. Um, I accepted the one that said, if you have this trans surgery, God won't love you as much. Um, if you've had an abortion, you're unworthy. In purity culture, if you've taken part in a certain part of sexuality, no one wants you anymore. Uh, there's a lot of talk in the public sphere at the moment and legislative action by Christians to control the autonomy of bodies. Uh, there's legislation against gender affirming healthcare for young trans people. Uh, there's the overturning of Roe versus Wade to control the bodies of women. Uh, there are lots of narratives about perfected bodies in our Christian tradition, I think. Uh, I think we have a hangover from Stoicism, which was a Greek philosophy around the New Testament era that said anything of this fleshly realm is bad and evil and we must resist it and that only the spiritual is good. We hear those views in Paul's writings. Uh, it really came out in the purity culture movement um, that we've got to be pure and perfect beings and resist all those fleshly desires uh, and to a point where we kind of disintegrate whole parts of ourselves away. Uh, a lot of us have experienced that. Um, hangovers of patriarchy and colonialism, which tell us that bodies are not good and not to be trusted because they they house desires and emotions and they're feminine and they're savage. Masculine bodies and ideals are the norm, which leads to a very heady Christian Christianity. Uh, and we resist and ignore a lot of the messy body stuff. I think that's why in broader society, we devalue uh, the whole realm of what has historically been women's work, which is care, uh, caring for others, healthcare, aged care. Um, and I think some of these views have impacted our narratives about resurrection in our Christian tradition, uh, that the end goal of our faith is 
perfection, to say that our bodies are raised perfectly or we won't have bodies at all, it'll all be spiritual. Um, the implication of most narratives that I grew up with, with were that there would be no imperfections at the end. But in this passage, we get one of the most certain pictures about what our resurrected bodies will look like. Jesus shows up with an imperfect body. Jesus shows up with marks on his hands and feet and his side. Jesus reveals his resurrected body and is bearing the marks of the violence done to him. Jesus has scars and imperfections. They are there. He is in his body that is not perfect and it reveals the story of his wounds. Jesus lives with scars in the resurrection. And this image has beautiful implications for us, I think. As we reflect on what that might mean for our view of disabilities and disabled bodies, there's a beautiful book by Candida Moss, who is a disability theologian called Divine Bodies, if you want to do some more reading. There have been wonderful queer and trans readings of this beautiful encounter with Jesus and Thomas, because in this story, we get a man who shows up and says, this is me, this is who I am, this is my name. And a disciple, a very close friend, a follower, actually doubts him and questions him. It echoes some of that awful rhetoric that's going around at the moment. Trans women aren't real women. You don't belong in our sports or bathrooms. You're not who you say you are. Or it's the fact that Thomas wants Jesus to prove himself by seeing his scars. It's the story of many trans people that they must prove who they are. They're often asked to show their bodies and their scars. Tell us about your surgeries, what's underneath your clothes. A lot of people look down on imperfect bodies and say they don't belong. But there's something really beautiful in this passage, I think, for us to hear about bodies and scars, that they don't discount us from the life of God. But rather, scars are central to our life with God. They are at the center of the story of resurrection. Your scars are not to be hidden or shamed. Whatever has happened to you does not make you less lovable or less worthwhile. The stories that people have told you about your scars or that you tell yourself about your scars aren't the whole story. Because in stark contrast, God says that narrative is not the narrative I have about you. Your scarred body is loved and belongs. Your scars are brought into the life of God who says, I love you for all you've done and all you've been through. And I have healing and I have life for your wounds. Your scars have been made holy because holiness is who God is and who God is is scarred. Your scars have been made holy because holiness is who God is and who God is is scarred. All of us have scars. A lot of us in this room talk about our trauma. Trans, queer, we're imperfect or pushed around or against a system in some way and we've been burnt. 
We grew up in imperfect families. We bear scars which say, I didn't consent to that happening to me. Abortion scars, scars of miscarriage, disability scars, grief, pain, mental illness. Scars from what people have said about our scars. Maybe your scars are about doubting, like Thomas. When the rug was pulled out from underneath me, I questioned so much of my faith. Your scars do not deny you access to God. They aren't to be erased either or hidden or shamed. Your scars are part of you and God does something with our scars as God transforms us through Jesus. And I think this, there's a lot of debate actually in this passage about the word marks. We see the marks on his skin and like, you know, Theologians have a right old time about like interpretive meaning and theological meaning and all of that. So like, is it wounds? Is it scars? Is it, you know, open flesh? Is it closed over flesh? Like, you know, what? there's a whole range of people talking about this in a section of the theological world. Um, from reading a little bit, even if that like, it's like there's a little indent there, does that mean it's flesh or scar? Um, I actually think the word scar is a good one to use from my reading Uh, and I think that scars is a good word to use because uh, it implies healing it implies ongoing life after we've been hurt you need your body naturally as it lives heals so this shows us that Jesus shows up and there's ongoing life that has happened after wounds that our wounds will be transformed by Jesus. There is a beautiful power here that I think we see that Jesus can heal. This story implies that Jesus keeps living after pain and violence. The last time we see him, his hands and his feet and his side have been pierced. He's been taken to the grave. But the resurrection implies that's not the end of the story or that this is not the whole story of God and what God is doing. Jesus' wounds have become scars in the resurrection. I think resurrection implies healing and ongoing life after we've experienced pain and violence. Does that make sense? Resurrection does not erase our scars, but somehow transforms them. We share in this. We share in the healing life of Jesus. Jesus' end goal is to share the life of God with us. In this passage, while the disciples are hiding in the upper room with death threats, they're in fear of the leaders. He says, peace be with you and here is my spirit. This is not the whole story for you. Another cool thing is that Uh, Jesus' scars actually identify him in this story. Like Thomas is like, I need to see your scars in order to believe who you are. Um, What we know about scars is that that they are actually used as an identification tool in the science of forensics. Often these like little unique bits about our bodies identify us. Um, It's also how we identify ourselves now, I think. I have... um, a scar on my leg, a little like indent on my leg, which tells the story of um, when I was in Greece, the musical, 
performed by the Tamworth Musical Society. I'm so sorry you missed the performance. It was incredible and probably the best thing you've seen in your life. Um, so I'm sorry that you weren't there. Uh, but in this one scene, we were like this gospel chorus choir uh, on like dancing on some steps and there were two sets of staircases at the front of the stage and then at the end of like us like dancing around and singing they turned the lights off and then we would like have to sneak off stage but something had happened with the staircases in that they'd kind of come apart a little bit and so in the dark as I was coming off I stepped right in between when <laughs> sorry this is like gritty but I now have that story and that's a part of who I am. I was in the chorus of the Greece Musical Society, you know, I was in that performance as a part of who I am. Uh, that's a little bit of a joke, but I think like you can, you can say, hey, yeah, this thing that happened to me, like what happened to you? Like, what's this fruit? Like, tell me about how that happened. Like these scars are kind of part of us. They're unique to us. Um, I also have emotional scars. Um, which hold the stories of grief. That's a little bit uh, more heavy. Um, you know, stories of overcoming injustice, uh, overcoming spiritual abuse. I have these emotional scars which have formed me in unique ways. They have made me who I am. And I wouldn't be here as this person, as you see today, without all of those little bits of scars. The scars we bear tell our stories. Our experiences of pain and healing, they do form us and they make us who we are. They're huge parts of our lives. They're the marks of the lives that we've lived. And a really important thing is our ability to, um, our ability to acknowledge and share our scars is so essential to living. When we experience trauma in any way, has anyone read the, the book, The Body Keeps the Score, or a similar one like it? Our bodies hold the impacts of our wounds. Our bodies are broken in a lot of ways. And in order to heal from those wounds, we actually need to make meaning out of what happened to us. Our brains need to form a story out of what happened in order to integrate it and move on. That's what has to happen. Otherwise, we'll stay in that place. That's how trauma takes us back. We're continually taken back to us unless we're able to form a narrative around a wound that has happened in our life. And it's often from that place of meaning making and of pain that people transform themselves and they transform others. I think this is the place of resurrection. I want to show you a little uh, video. Chris, this is a little heads up. Uh, it's a video from Nadia Boltz Weber. Who knows Nadia Boltz Weber? Great. Uh, and she's talking about the necessity of acknowledging brokenness and scars and the necessity of vulnerability in connecting to others and to God, and specifically in relation to her uh, experience of depression. And she kind of relates this story to the story of the demon-possessed demoniac, if anyone knows that story. Um, but we'll get there in the end. It's just a really beautiful... Oh, wrong one. 
maybe it didn't get put in there. It didn't get uploaded. Hit pause for a moment. That's a really good idea. Go and get a snack. That's not it. No. Demon. Thanks. Got nothing. We ready? Let's go. It's in the in the Bible when they like talk and have names just seems weird. It's like I don't know, believing in demons is like the spiritual equivalent of a monster truck rally, right? It just feels a little like, ah, I don't know, I can't believe in that stuff. And um and so I was struggling with it with that whole idea until when I was writing a sermon for my community, I was trying to struggle with that text and it just seemed absurd until I remembered that at one point in my life, my own depression felt so real and so present that it just felt better to just go ahead and give it a name. And I named my depression Francis because uh, it showed up and really sort of moved in with me about the time that uh, Courtney Love and, and Kurt Cobain had their child Francis Bean. And so I named my my depression Francis, except for except for I pictured my Frances as Courtney Love herself, just sort of emaciated in this torn vintage nightgown and speared lipstick. So this was my roommate, Frances, and she was a terrible roommate. She, like, told me horrible things about myself, devastating things, and, and kept, kept the place filthy, you know? And when Frances lived with me, I, I, I didn't manage to do normal things. Like, I couldn't shop for groceries or shower as regularly as I probably should have, and I would stand in front of the dairy case, unable to make a decision about yogurt, and I would just leave hungry and empty-handed, you know, and it was, it was horrible. She was just a terrible roommate. And uh, until my, I, you know, I dropped some, a bunch of weight, my mom started worrying. She realized Francis being my roommate was my problem, so she, can, she suggested I go talk to a nice lady therapist about evicting her, and uh, it ends up that Francis is a bit of a dope fiend, uh, except there's one drug that she doesn't like, and it's called Wellbutrin. And about three weeks after I started taking it, the bitch was gone. So uh, I, you know, telling the story and saying, like, maybe 
demons having names and talking to us is not so foreign to me after all. Because, um, you know, in these texts, you hear that these people were isolated, the demoniacs were isolated, and they hurt themselves. They were self-harming. You know, it, t- it talks about being the people who had demons hurt themselves. And yeah, so very real to me. this is... This is not some abstract, weird thing from thousands of years ago. And now, since we understand what, you know, epilepsy is, we, you know what I mean? It, it, it's just, we have a clinical, no, man, this stuff is real. And there are still these forces that seek to defy God and seek to overrule and sort of be louder than God's voice in our lives. And, uh, and yeah, maybe they even have names and they say stuff out, out loud. So um, it, that is real to me. But the... The point being, there's that theological piece, but then there's the fact that, man, it was so healing for so many people in my parish who struggle with mental illness to have their pastor talk about her own struggle with mental illness. Like, it was hugely powerful for them. I mean, there was some sort of wholeness and healing that came to them out of that. They never had a religious leader who they trusted relate to them on that level before. Now, I... I, I'm not the first person to ever say this, but I do try to preach from my scars and not my wounds, right? So if I was in the middle of a depressive episode, it probably would be a misstep for me to be preaching about it. But because it's not this wound, it's, it's a scar, it's, it's sturdy, you know, it's tough. And it's a place that I can speak out of that's like healing for other people. So. Yeah, why well, hasn't, it doesn't seem to be a big characteristic of the church it doesn't seem to be the place that especially with leaders leading carving out the space for true confession um, that's all i have to offer i mean i'm not actually kidding my confession of my brokenness and my confession of my faith that's it that's literally all i have to offer that's all i do in my preaching that's all i do in my writing i'm not a christian apologist it's not like i'm saying here's the case for why this is true and you should believe it for these reasons I don't care. I'm not trying to get people to, to believe something. All I'm doing is, to me, the most faithful thing I can do is confess my brokenness and confess my faith. See, because the thing about that is that our shared brokenness is what actually connects us to each other and to God. Absolutely. It's not our successes. It's not our piety. Is not the thing that connects us to ourselves, to each other and to God. It's on that level of vulnerability, on that level of like saying, me too. Like, I've had this suffering too. And then you can kind of connect with someone in that, in that sort of, in that wounded place and go, yeah, you're not alone. And you're so completely loved. And all of that stuff is not what defines you. There's something, you actually are more powerful than your weaknesses. That's the weird thing. Like, you have your weaknesses and those are true. And absolutely, we have to deal with this. But there's this power in being a loved person that can really transform that other stuff. So, I mean, if, if all we do is try and pretend we don't have that brokenness, we're robbing ourselves of, con- of the connection to other people and a connection to God, that redeeming God, that God who is able to sort of uh, pull us up from the graves, you know, that bring us resurrection, bring us mercy, bring us forgiveness. This is God's nature to do this. So our confessing our brokenness all that is is just this opening for all that to happen. And yet, I've spent most of my life trying to avoid it. I want to be strong as hell. I don't want people to think I'm weak. I don't want them to know my vulnerability. I don't want them to take advantage of me, betray me, any of those things. And yet, 
I feel like when I'm at my most powerful is when I'm willing to be vulnerable, even though it's what I've tried to avoid almost my entire life. But these people have made me into a vulnerable pastor because that's what they needed. In a few moments, I'm going to invite Becky and Yen back up, and I've got a few reflective questions for us. Um, but just kind of in wrapping us up, uh, in a few weeks' time, I'm going to rock up here with some scars on my chest. Scars that so many people will have so many opinions or narratives about. Uh, and my scars will not make me unworthy of love. They will bear the marks that is broken. And for some reason, this is my experience. My scars will share more of my uniqueness and story with the world. They will reveal transformation and healing. They will be central to the life I find in God and the resurrection I have found in God. We all have wounds and we all have scars. Some are more easily healed than others. These are the natural marks of living in a world that's not perfect and where brokenness exists in so many forms. Thankfully, the request from God is not perfection. Just as Jesus shows up bearing the marks of the violence done to him, he shows up with two stories. This is what has happened to me. This is the life I've lived. But this is not the only story. My wounds have made me who I am, but my scars bear witness to the truth of ongoing life and healing. Life and healing that is shared with us. Here is my spirit. Peace be with you. You don't need to be perfect. Whatever has happened to you or whatever you've done, whatever scars you bear, whatever the narrative of the world or the narrative that you tell yourself about your scars is not the only story. God has a different story about us, that we are loved and there is always space, grace and compassion. Your scars, your imperfections, your story, they make you beautifully and uniquely you. Your scars, your imperfections, your brokenness, your story, they are at the heart of resurrection and faith. It's what connects us with others and what connects us with God. Your scars are the place you say, I'm not perfect. I've walked through pain. I'm broken. And that's not all I am. I'm loved and no one can change that story about me. I bear the image of God. I have the spirit and the peace of God. I share in the life of Jesus. Our scars are holy because holiness is who God is and who God is is scarred. So as Becky and Yen come up to sing for us, I just want to ask you, what are the scars that you have? What are the stories that you tell yourself about your scars? What is the story you need to hear about your scars? What are the scars you see around you? What are the scars in others which you might say are bad or should be hidden? Because at the end of this gospel, 
John writes down to us that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples and that they're written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thank you.